Seventh, let's launch in. Uh, so Proverbs 27, I chose verse 14. If you loudly greet your neighbor early in the morning, he will think of it as a curse. <laughs> Do you know that was in the book of Proverbs? It's wise, isn't it? You don't want to call your neighbor up at 5.30 and say, rise and shine. You know, they're going to think you... It's a Proverbs fun. Today we're starting a new series, and uh, we're going to be taking a look at a character in the Old Testament, a guy named Elisha. We spent um, a number of weeks last winter um, studying another guy named Elijah, which is kind of confusing, and I realize that we'll talk a little bit about that, but um, we're going to see how God chose this, just this nobody, this, this really ordinary guy who was out plowing in his father's field, and... Um, and the Lord called him, and how he responded was amazing. He pretty much you know, burned all of his bridges and took off to follow God. So we're going to be starting, and I'm, I'm going to call this a tale of outrageous faith. Outrageous faith. And I, I have a goal. I have one purpose in, in teaching on this topic, and that is I really believe that the Lord is going to build your faith through this series and to give you some outrageous faith yourselves. The context for this guy was, and you can, you'll find this in 1 Kings, uh, particularly in chapter 19 and other places, but you'll find that there was this prophet named Elijah. We talked about him last, last winter, and um, he was one of the great prophets of the Old Testament. He did some amazing things. You can see, um, you can see when he was doing things and God had, had anointed him that he had uh, a sense of humor, but he was very, very bold. He did just some daring things. He was full of faith. And he was followed by another prophet whose name was Elisha. And that's real confusing. You could think that God could have changed the names just a little bit or put something in between there, but God did give us a hint about how to keep those two straight. And this is something that my friend Kathy, um, Kathy Marzoff, reminded me of this a long time ago. She said, um, you know, the way you keep that straight is Elisha, who came second. It started with an S, which is alphabetically after the J. Okay, so there you go. For the rest of your lives, you'll be able to keep Elijah and Elisha straight, which one came in which order because of the alphabetically, Okay. So you're smart now, so you'll be able to get that correct, and people who get it wrong, you go, you can put your nose up in here. No, 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 no. It went the other way around. Okay. Anyway, so Elisha, Elisha was this guy who followed Elijah, and he was very, very bold. In fact, so bold that he asked for a double portion of anointing that his predecessor, Elijah, had, which is, that's asking a lot. A double portion, and, and uh, we'll find, and you'll see about this guy. He, there's actually more recorded miracles that Elisha did in the Bible than anybody else in the Bible except Jesus. So this guy did a lot of things that got recorded. And, and what's, what I find fascinating about this guy, he was really, really ordinary. I mean, he wasn't, he wasn't the son of a priest. He wasn't a monk that lived away somewhere. He, he wasn't some sort of outward spiritual giant. He was just this ordinary guy. He lived at home with his parents, you know, he drove a truck for the state of Washington, or, you know, I mean, just, it wasn't, it wasn't, he wasn't notable, he wasn't like Donald Trump, he wasn't this, he wasn't Sister Teresa, it was just this ordinary guy, home, a farmer, working diligently in his parents' farm, and he lived um, in the ninth century before, before Christ, and at that time, the, 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 the land of Israel was divided, there was a lot of strife between the kids, and um, a lot of people were worshiping this false god named Baal. So there was a lot of people that were just not following God, and God raised up this ordinary guy who did something extraordinary um, through his life. So, okay, so let's, let's look into this, 1 Kings 9, starting in verse 19. 
So Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat. He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the 12th pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and then I will come with you. Go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? So Elisha left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen, now this is crazy, and slaughtered them. Now it's going to get even more outrageous. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people, and they ate. Then he set out to follow Elijah and became his servant. Somebody say to your neighbor, this guy is outrageous already. Somebody said it. I heard it. Somebody was... Okay, so here's where we're going to go um, with this. Uh, the second week of this, we're going to talk, because for a lot of us, our faith is, is just not real big. We, we have some, you know, and, and, and that keeps us from being willing to dream big. And at the same time that we're not willing to dream big, sometimes we're not willing to start small. Okay, that may not make sense to you now, but it's, it's an interesting thing for us to look at. We're going to see that Elisha talks to these people and gets them to dig some ditches way before there's any reason to do it, and God will expand your faith. I really believe the Lord is going to expand some people's faith to start thinking big. At the same time, encouraging them, God will encourage them to start small. We'll talk about that. The third week of the series, we're going to, we're going to examine a widow who was desperate desperately trying to save the life of, of her, her family, which was her sons. And um, we're going to talk about people who are in or face or will face really, really difficult times. And times when you say to yourself, I don't know how I'm going to make it through this. And we'll see that when that was going on, she already had everything she needed to do what God wanted her to do. We'll talk about that. And then the fourth week, there's this just crazy miracle. I don't know what to make of it in the Bible. It's like, it just seems so random, and it's an amazing thing where this, um, there, we're, and this I think will speak to people who at one time were more passionate about the things of the Lord. People who have walked with the Lord, but somehow they can look back and say, there was a time in my life that I was more on fire, I was closer to God, and maybe I've lost a little bit of my spiritual edge. We're going to look at this amazing miracle where this axe head falls into this body of water, and the prophet makes it miraculously float, and we're going to see something there about an edge coming back, and you'll see how the Lord maybe will help you get your, your edge back. So today we're going to look at some outrageous uh, commitment and faith from this guy named Elisha, and I'll go back and take a look at this a few verse by verse. So back to verse 19. Here's Elisha with, was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the 12th pair. Now he was doing the same job that he'd been doing for a really long time, working on his parents' farm, driving these oxen along. And, and I, I just consider about now, consider now the resistance that he was facing with what he was doing. I mean, one pair of oxen is typical. You'd see a pair of oxen and, you know, you've see, probably seen pictures, a pair of oxen and there's a lot of pulling power there. They can pull through a lot. The word says he used 12 pairs. That's 24 oxen. And um, here's a picture of the only one I could find the closest thing. There's 10 yoke of oxen. That's 20. So he had a longer train of oxen than this. So he had four more than this. That's a lot of them. And um, there's so much pulling power on this many oxen. I mean, you could, if, you, if the blade could take it, you could like plow through stainless steel if you had 20, 12 yoke of oxen. I mean, you could really pull. Many places around the world today, oxen are still used. And sometimes they're in pairs and sometimes they're single. So to pair up that many, we're talking about animals that we're pulling forward, and whatever's in front of there is moving out of the way. 
I mean, you really could. So there's something going on here. You don't yoke up all that extra work to put all that extra oxen on. You don't yoke up like that if the ground doesn't require it. So there's some, some real tenacity peeking through the deal here. You know, and, and consider the monotony that this guy faced. All the time to get these oxen all lined up. There must have been some big fields because just, you know, the, this was just the train itself would take up a lot of space. But think about this. This is your job. What is, what's, what's going to work physically like? Okay, so what do you smell? I mean, come on, think about it. What do you smell? You have oxen tails in front of you. What do you see? What is your view all day long? It gives a whole new meaning to oxtail soup, doesn't it? <laughs> so this is just one uh, relatively clean oxen. Multiply this, and this is your, you know, your view from your office all day long, day after day, and there's these smells, and you've got to watch where you step. And Okay, so it's not so cool, right? Day after day, every single day. And some of you, maybe you feel a little bit like Elisha here. He, you know, you're, you're not looking necessarily at oxen rears every day, but you're doing the same thing day after day, day in, day out, and sometimes it just gets a little monotonous. It just can get, you know, you're doing the same job with the same people, I'm not suggesting that you're, the people you work with are oxtails, and I suggest you don't call them oxtails, but kind of maybe that's sometimes how you feel. Some of you, you know, maybe you've got a, a sales quota that you do in your job or a production quota, and you, you do it day after day, and you get your quota, and then tomorrow's a new day, and where's the quota? Oh, it's yesterday, and you start all over again, and here you go. You gotta, even though you, you met it, you've got to do it again, or, or maybe... Maybe you're going to school and you're a student and you think all I ever do is I study and I work and then I pay the bills and I study and I work and I pay the, or you're a mother and I, you know, I, I, do, I do a diaper and then I do the laundry and then I fix, clean the dishes, diaper, laundry, dishes, diaper, laundry, dishes, diaper, laundry, dishes. And over time, the monotony and the repeating and you can kind of start to lose your passion about something that you held passion for at one time. And that's where Elisha is, I think. But I want you to notice, he was really being faithful to his task. So faithful. And, and God will reward those who are faithful in the little things. Scripture teaches us that. When, when you're faithful with the little, he can trust you with much. And even though plowing the dirt behind a strain of oxen was probably not his favorite thing to do, even though he was probably physically tired, he may have been emotionally just nothing left anymore. In the middle of all that, he was stayed faithful to his daily routine. And God took him from where he was to a place of outrageous impact. And then at the end of the verse, the story says this great, this great man of God named Elijah, Elijah you know, he, he comes up, and this is somebody that Elisha would have, been looking, would have looked up to. Okay, This prophet of God, you and I know about him, but they would have known who he was at that time. And so here's verse 19. It says, Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. What in the world does that mean? I mean, I was in grade school. We had a cloak room. That was a long time ago. Schools had cloak rooms. Anybody else? Just me. Just me. Okay. So, so he would have had this cloak. We would say a cape or a coat or something. It would have been made out of skin or fur of some sort. It was his covering. So Elijah walks up and puts his covering, symbolically saying, he puts his covering on top of Elisha, and he's symbolically saying, you know, that which covered me is now going to cover you. 
That which was a mantle on me is now going to be a mantle on you. That which I was under, you're now going to be under. You're going to be my student, and I'm going to be your mentor. And as God has been working through me, now God is going to be working through you. And he put his mantle on and covered Elisha. You know, and if we take this and we apply this story to our lives, we'll see a couple of principles of outrageous commitment that are going to come out of us. Because we can watch this, this ordinary man respond to this extraordinary call, the signaling the Lord was giving him. Because God is going to call him to follow Elijah, and he's not going to know all the details. He is not going to know all the details. So the first thing that we're going to see here is that, one, you don't have to understand fully to obey immediately. You don't have to, when God calls you something, you don't have to know all of the details to obey immediately. And so, okay, so this, I'm thinking about this, this moment here in this, this field out here where this guy comes out. It had to be a real moment. I mean, I mean, there's a couple of things. The scriptures don't tell us all of this background, so I just get to use my imagination. So there's a couple possibilities. One is one possibility is this. Here's, here's Elijah out there plowing the field, got all this stuff going in front of him and all these oxtails, and this old codger in a coat comes step-top, you know, tippy-toeing through the dirt clods and the other clods and works his way out there, and um, Elisha is doing his job and is probably not cold, doesn't need a coat. In fact, doesn't really understand where, why this guy's coming across. And the guy comes up and puts a coat on him and walks away. And, and you're thinking, who are you? Why'd you do that? This is just weird. Okay, that's one possibility. Possibility. It's, 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 it's as likely as any other possibility. In my imagination, I think something else maybe. I think they knew who Elijah was. You know, he had done some amazing things. If you read back and you see some of the miraculous things, this guy was probably very, very famous among the people. He was known as a man of God. He had great faith. God did just these miracles that were so cool. And um, so, so now Elijah, Elijah is out there plowing, and he looks over there, and here comes the prophet, and there's kind of a small group of people maybe following him along because they want to see what the prophet's going to do next. It's quite a deal. And I'm plowing, and I'm wondering, he's, he's coming over here. Why is he doing this? I've got to pay attention to my oxen. There's 24 of them here. And I'm just, it's everything I can just to stay behind him and not, you know. And pretty soon out he comes, and now it's obvious he's coming across the field. He's coming across the field towards me. Now my mom and dad are up at the farmhouse, and they're looking out going, what's going on out there? That's, that's, the, that's the prophet, What's he going to do to our son? Why is he going out there? And you can feel the tension building. And he walks up, and he takes off his coat, and he looks <laughs> into the eyes of this man pushing behind the plow, and he takes his coat, and he sets it on his shoulders. And the moment is rich. And the presence of the Lord is strong. And this guy on the plow knows that something life-turning is going on because this famous guy has singled him out and has done this symbolic thing. There is something going on. And I, I, believe, I believe that the, that moment had to be rich with the presence of the Lord. Had to be. It's my opinion. That's not doctrine. And I'm clear when I'm telling you it's opinion versus doctrine. But I just, I just really believe that was an amazing moment. I think more than just... 
wow, this famous guy has given me attention. I think that Elisha was going, the presence of the Lord. What is the Lord doing? This is God. And the reason I think that, there's a, that we should turn there. It's not really in my notes. Um, John chapter 10. There's a passage there where, um, let me find it. I'm normally better prepared than to see Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. <laughs> 10 comes between 9 and 11. And there's the, I'm pretty sure it's 10. Yeah. Starting in verse 22, uh, I'll, I'll drop down. Here's this situation where these Jews are saying to Jesus, you know, show us who you are. How do we know you are who you are? And here's what he says, verse 25. I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. But you do not believe because you are not of my sheep. As I said to you, and then here's the, here's the verse I wanted to, verse 27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. My sheep they hear. They know when Jesus is talking to them. And I believe that there's Elijah out in the field. And this is more than just happenstance. I think when God sends Elijah out there to do that, this moment that's rich, I think that Elisha is going, yes, Lord, I hear your voice. You're saying something to me. I don't know the details, but I've been visited by God. I got a code out of the deal. <laughs> there's something going on there. <laughs> He walks into the field, places his coat, and this sense of the presence. Scripture says this, Elijah then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye. And he said, then I'll come with you. Notice a couple things about this. He didn't have to pray about it. Can you believe you just heard your pastor say that? The pastor just said you don't have to pray about something. Some things you don't have to pray about. He didn't have to pray about it. He didn't have to stop and say, you know, okay, wait a second. Visited by God, something's going on here. Give me a pencil and paper. List of pros, list of cons, you know, or I don't got to check, I have to check with my counselor about this. No, he just, I don't have to know all the details, but since I believe God, it's you, I'm ready to obey immediately. Because you don't have to know all of the details fully to obey immediately. And here's the deal you and I can't plan what God will have in our pathway a year from now. We don't know. We just don't know. So I believe with all my heart that if you position yourself to a place of readiness, spiritual readiness, that when the Lord does call you in some small way or some grand way, you're able to obey immediately, even if you don't have all the details. And here's the deal about that. God will rarely give you the details up front. I just don't see that. I just don't. I mean, I, I believe that God will often strategically leave his plans vague. You ever notice that? You know, it's just, I mean, I think, um, you know, we want the details. I think sometimes God looks at us and says, you know, you want the truth, you can't handle the truth. He looks at us and he says, he says I can't, you can't, if, if I showed you everything, if I t- explained it all to you now, you wouldn't show up. So I'm just going to show you the next step. And I think that's oftentimes what the Lord does. He just In the Old Testament, you'll see that a lot. Um, and I'm going to summarize here. But like, if you looked at the instructions God gave to Moses, you could summarize them and say, basically God said to him in one word, go. Same thing with Abraham, go. Here's another one, New Testament. You know, Peter sees this person walking across on top of the water, and he starts kind of you know, losing it a little bit, and he says, I'm paraphrasing. He says, hey, is that you? Is that you, Jesus? If it's you, 
would you tell me to come? Because I want to try that. And Jesus says to him, come. One word. He didn't explain how he's going to keep him afloat. He just says, come. Sometimes that's all you're going to get. And that needs to be enough for us. We need to have our heart prepared to do that. And some of you may have heard one word. I mean, I don't know what it'll be for you. I mean, maybe your marriage is struggling and you're just weary and your heart is hurting and you're thinking about just giving up. And then you hear one word from the Lord and the word is stay. And you don't have to understand all the details to obey immediately. So you stay. Or some of you, maybe you've got a health situation that doesn't look so good. And, or maybe that's somebody that you love. And God gives you one word. And the word is trust. And your intellect doesn't have enough data to trust. But the Lord says the word to your spirit to trust. And there's something that you just seize control of your spirit and say, spirit's going to be in charge, not my intellect. I'm going to trust. God's in this. And God gives you one. Or maybe, maybe um, in more practical ways in life, you're, you're in business and you have some idea that you want to try or... Um, you know, you, 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 maybe you have a ministry call and you're supposed to be doing something in the world to minister to people. Or, you know, maybe you're supposed to write a book. I don't know. There's people in here that could write books. There are people in here that have written books. Maybe you're supposed to write a book and you just don't know what to do and you're trying to think, well, when and how and da da da. And the word you hear is start. And that's maybe all that the Lord would say to you is begin. And so you hear that word and you begin. Some of you have been hanging around the church for a while and you're starting to grow in the Lord and, and, and yet you're still observing the kingdom. You're still watching. And God may give you one word too. It may be the word commit. Don't just watch anymore. Dive in, get involved, commit yourself to serving the king. Some, some of you might be praying about the future of your family. You'd like to have kids and it's not happening the way you want to and you hear the word foster or adopt. And so you start thinking, yeah, but okay, let's see, is it gonna, should we try to get a boy? Should we try to get a girl, um, a domestic, international? Don't know. Don't know all those things. But, but begin. You don't have to understand everything to take the first step. Or maybe you're single right now and you're dating a jerk. <laughs> a loser. You're, you know, you're, and the people around you are going, oh, you know, lose this guy. You know, and, and you're thinking, yeah, but if I do, um, you know, I don't know if I'll find somebody else or maybe I'll never get... And the, the word you get from the Lord, the single word you get from the Lord is break up with the jerk. <laughs> and I realize that's five words, but the Lord might want to give you five words because you're too important to settle for a fixer-upper. <laughs> hey, I'm being cute, but that is the Lord speaking to somebody. And we get desperate sometimes because we're certain that we would be better off if we map out our tomorrows rather than to fa- wait on the faithful one to map for us. But the Lord gives us that word. He says, okay, I'm going to give you one step Be faithful in that step. I'll give you another one. The Lord promises to order the steps of the righteous. The Lord says that you'll hear his voice. This is something that we can get there from here. And besides that, you know, it's, well, I'm done with talking about the jerk. We'd get rid of the jerk. 
You don't have to understand everything to do what God tells you to do. When I, was, when I was back before ministry and I was working in the big corporation, I have to tell you, by the way, when I share stories about my personal life, I'm always split on whether I should do it or not. I want you to understand I share these with you because they're just, they illustrate something. They're, they're not anything I'm proud of. Most of the stories that I would tell don't really put me in that good a light. And so I, I hope it's okay with you that I occasionally tell you stories from my back past. So I, I was working for this big corporation for a long time. And um, I was in management and was kind of working my way through different management positions. And then they started talking to me about, about moving. Um, Lisa and I have pretty much lived in this region forever. And um, they started talking to me about positions that they wanted me to take in different cities. And uh, over the course of about a year, year and a half, they offered us positions in all over the country. Um, places where summer is an actual season, places where there's actually blue sky, places where, you know, I mean, it, it was all over the country. There were Southern California and Northern California and New York, downtown and Orlando and Minnesota. Don't know why Minnesota, but it's all these different places. And basically they were saying, hey, here are some opportunities. Take these opportunities. You're going to move up. You're going to make a lot more money. We're going to make you rich. That's what the world was saying. And I, I never had any release or peace about it ever because I always kept hearing this word, stay, stay. And it made no earthly sense. It made no earthly sense. Later, when, because I stayed, when the Lord asked me to come, I was prepared. And you know, he led me into a ministry role, and we've talked about that, I think. And, and everything that I'm doing today, everything that I'm privileged to be able to do ministry-wise and what I do for a living, all kinds, everything I get to do today is because of an outrageous stance I took at one time to obey a single word that the Lord said to me, stay. And God has used that process and that obedience to bask my family in blessing. I don't know how else to say that. I mean, my children have grown up meeting the people they were supposed to meet according to the Lord's best plan because I stayed. I, I've had ministry opportunities. I've had, I've had relationships build with people that would have never occurred if I had wandered off according to my will or according to what the world said was best for me rather than a simple word that didn't make a whole lot of sense, but it was so clearly Lord, so clearly. Because remember the sheep, know the shepherd's voice? And I am today, to this day, I'm telling you, I am incredibly grateful for the way the Lord has um, blessed me and my family. And, and, and so that's where I am. So some of you, when you hear one word, you're going to be crazy, outrageous enough to say, Lord, I don't know all of the details, but I know you're in this, so I'm going to do it. I'm going to obey immediately. So thought number one is you don't have to understand fully to obey immediately. The second thought is this. Those God uses the most are the ones that hold on to the least. This is going to speak to somebody because those that God uses the most are the ones that hold, hold on to the least. So watch what happens with Elisha in verse 21. So Elisha left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen, these are the animals that provided him with a livelihood, and slaughtered them. He killed them dead. <laughs> They're dead. Then what do you do with the plows? He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people, and they ate. He made a bonfire out of his equipment, cooked the animals, and had a big old barbecue. 
with his buds, okay? <laughs> then he set out to follow Elijah and became his servant. And that's, you know, that story is outrageous through and through. I mean, God's called me to go and follow and be a prophet, you know, maybe even be bigger, this kind of thinking going on. So what do I do? I kill the cows and burn the plows. Kill the cows and burn the plows. That's outrageous. Now, maybe you can make a spiritual case for killing the cows. Because when the Lord would do things, um, it was common for the people in this culture to have a sacrifice. It was, it was, you, can, you can maybe make a case for burning the cows up. But when he goes and he burns the plows, that's, that's almost like burning up plan B. There's no plan B. He has just burned his bridges. There's only plan A, obey the Lord. Plan B doesn't exist anymore. Now, if I'm, as a father, my kids come to me and they say, hey, I'm going to do, I'm going to um, go follow the Lord with my life and um, so forth. And they come up with their plans. I'm going to say, you know, I'm proud of your faith and everything, you know, but I think you should hang on to your um, plows and your cows because they might come in handy later. I mean, I mean, I'm just being really transparent. My faith would want to protect them from my lack of faith, I guess. I don't know. But I mean, I mean, but that's honestly what I'm thinking. Follow God, but keep the cows just in case God doesn't show up. That's the lack of faith. In scripture, in scripture, you know, you'll see lots of times when people are so moved by God that they do these outrageous things to follow him. You know, you see it in the disciples and when uh, Jesus comes upon Peter in, I think, Luke chapter 5 or so. He's, he's fishing, and it's been a bad fishing day. And Jesus doesn't know anything about fishing. He's just this dude, and Pe- Peter's an expert, and he's got his own boat. It'd be like you walking down to, the, you know, down to Westport, and the boat comes in, and there's nobody getting off with any fish, and, and you, know, you, you have nothing to do. But you go up and say, hey, Captain, you had the fishing lines on the wrong side of the boat. Go back out and do it again. They're going to look at you like you're nuts, right? But for some reason, the sheep know the shepherd's voice. Pete says, okay, out they go. They put the nets on the other side. Now there is so many fish, the nets break, and they can't contain it. And now Peter's going, wow, you're God. There's something going on. There's a real encounter here. And the Bible says that he left everything to follow. And, and you know, these, these things burn the plows and kill the cows. The, the disciples, says, the word says they left everything. Now, you might just read that and contextualize that in your life and say, wait a minute, leave my job? I mean, I trained for this. I got a college major in this. Leave, the, leave my comfort, leave my family, leave my you know, neighborhood. But these guys, they left everything to follow Jesus. Now, I do want to say, to you that you know the Lord may speak to you and some of you the Lord may give you some plow burning faith let me just say I just want to qualify you make sure you're hearing the Lord before you burn your plows okay I, I don't just go say hey I'm sick of my job I'm out of here I hate you boss and then burn the building down I'm not saying that okay I'm not telling you to do that that's not what I'm talking about I'm talking about when you know that you know that you know that the Lord has spoken to you and he's calling you to follow him somewhere in something. Sometimes when you're so convinced that you're, you're just, you're, just, you're going to do it, you're going to burn the bridge because you're not going to turn back. 
something's happened in you and you're never going to be the same and you can't go back because God is calling you forward. When God gives you true plow-burning faith, you will do whatever it takes to follow him. Whatever it takes. When these guys at AT AT&T were, you know, asking me to move, they were offering me success. You know, they were saying, we can make you rich. They said those words. And they would have been right. But all I wanted to do was serve the Lord. So I very, very respectfully one day went into my boss and I said to her, you know, I'm really grateful. Grateful to this company. I'm grateful to you. I've just been, I, I, I respect you. Thank you. But I just can't do this anymore. I just can't. And I burned the bridge, very respectfully burned a bridge and left a very lucrative career to go and serve God. And you won't find a happier married man, a more fulfilled man than the one you're looking at. You won't. (laughs) And I had to burn some plows to leave where I was so I could go to where it was that God wanted me to be. And I don't know what it's going to be in your life. If there's anything in your life that's keeping you from serving God, and you need to go burn that plow. I mean, if there's sin holding you back, you need to burn that plow. If there's doubt in your life, you need to burn that plow. If there's a relationship holding you back, then you need to burn that plow. And um, if the Holy Spirit gets a hold of you and you obey, I'm telling you, you're not going to let anything keep you from following God because you don't have to understand fully before you obey immediately. And those that God uses the most are those who hold on the least. Now, I think for for some of us, as we're done here, I'm going to ask you to come and pray. I'm losing my voice. Um, Would you mind helping me with that, Pastor Eric? I know you would. I think uh, some of us, we have a blankie. And blankies are good. I remember when my mother took my blankie away. I, I, I forgive you. Kind of. <laughs> I, I remember it being a blankie. I think she remembers it being this disgusting, tattered rag. It just—it was yellow. It had a it had a taffeta, and <clears throat> it went away to the laundry, and it never came back. Sometimes, though, <laughs> sometimes, though, to step towards your destiny, you have to let go of your security. And God's going to speak to some people and give you faith to believe that because he's calling you to something new. So you might be looking day to day at a lot of oxen rears, but God's going to call you to do something greater for your kingdom and give you the faith to go. Would you just agree with me in prayer? Lord, I'm so grateful, God.